Untitled Beatles podcast. I don't. I don't even have stuttering as a. I'm not diagnosed as that. I just am sloppy. My mouth is sloppy. Hey, welcome to the Beatles pod. It's TJ with Sloppy Mouth Mendoza. It's true. Welcome. Welcome. I'm Tony Mendoza. And I'm slightly less Sloppy Mouth TJ. Dude, I had Sloppy Mouth once. But but, but, we're not going to talk about it because the world's changed. It's 2019. We're recording this at the end of 2019. This is our New Year's show. I know. I can't 2020 is going to be amazing. It's going to be our best year yet, I think. I can't. I got a lot of stuff in the works. I've got a lot of projects that are going to happen. Do you have a Spaniard in the works? Do you have a... (laughs) Very good. uh, Call it a time. Also, it's not. Right now, it's the fall of 2020. As we record this from Tony is out west. I'm in the middle. Emotionally. Did you see that Rolling Stone, this is not the this episode's theme, but Rolling Stone did the revised list of the 500 greatest albums ever released. Did you read all about that a few weeks ago? I So, yeah, I heard that it happened, and I was not interested in finding out what they've decided are the new 500. Well, it's, it, in a sense, it's all bullshit. And in a yeah. sense, it's cool to read because it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's kind of captures cultural zeitgeist and f- as a good thing... And this needs to be a whole separate episode because I actually went on certain Beatles websites, uh, Fest for Beatle Fans, Beatle Fan Magazine, and argued with people because there was a lot. Because, like, all of a sudden, this is where I'm at. This is like uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar w- uh, got, like, the, the 15th or 20th best album of all time. Now, I-, I think I've heard it. I cannot cite a song from it. I know it's critically acclaimed. Why argue with it? Uh, but there was a lot of like, yeah, well, who made this? The Black Lives Matter movement. Oh. Man, where's CCR? Oh, and like, listen, turned into that. Of course. It, well, of it, course it, it did. It became, and here's the most egregious thing that Anne Kathy Lee, the number one <laughs> album, which had in the for years had been Sgt. Pepper. Sgt. Pepper weirdly got kicked down to the mid-20s, right? Which in itself is strange. Sgt. Pepper's kind of taking a beating a bit as, you know, well, Revolver's yeah. better. Well, I'd be really, yeah. but... It seems a bit stupid. Again, who cares? Exactly. But what offended people Uh was Rolling Stone put as the number one album of all time, an album that I think is one of the best albums of all time. It's Marvin Gaye's uh, What's Going On. And there was outrage at Marvin fucking Gaye. Not Kanye, not someone recent and divisive, but one of the five greatest soul and rock songwriters ever got shit on on all these Beatles websites for taking the top spot. What was weird was like number two, I think was Joni Mitchell's blue. Number three was pet sounds. And number four was Abbey road. And it did strike me as weird that Mm. God bless pet sounds. God bless you, Joni Mitchell. But what are the Beatles doing at number four? That bothered me, but not Marvin Gaye at number one. Fine. That's a fair case to make. I just had to vent about this. So I fought with people on Facebook, (laughs) Republican, quote unquote, Beatles fans. I say that because we know there can't be such a thing. Right. I I do, though, enjoy this vision of you going to like a Beatle fest in Liverpool or something and just like getting into these bare knuckle (laughs) brawls with (laughs) random guys in Sergeant Pepper costumes. (laughs) Oh, that was the one thing I remember the most about McCartney last year. I saw him at Dodger Stadium and... And yeah, man, at the end of the concert, when we're all herding out into the, you know, back into reality, there was this one dude in a blue Sergeant Pepper outfit, just sloppy drunk. And like, I do find it odd. I always, you know, and this, um, (laughs) 
I, I, he was just fat. That's all I'm trying to say. He was a fat guy in a Sergeant Pepper thing, and he was drunk out of like sweaty drunk in this blue <laughs> monstrosity well, of a. You know, Crimble legend tells us that Sergeant Pepper is also Saint Nicholas. <laughs> Happy Crimble. Well, happy Crimble Peppers to you. It's very British sounding. In fact, I think Gentlemen, I Gentlemen, please welcome. <laughs> please, we're going to do the same bit. Let's find out. What's your bit? Remember this, gentlemen, please get your dollar bills out for Crimble Pepper on the main stage. Crimble Pepper working hard for it. Get your dollar bills out. What was yours? I was going to say they made Crimble Peppers this week on the Great British Baking Program. <laughs> your, your bit's better and more 2020 appropriate. But, you know, in fairness, th- this is good improv is pre-written. Everybody knows this. Oh, yeah. I, I always came up with all my best lines in the shower. I wrote them down. Uh, I had waterproof paper, and I brought the waterproof paper <laughs> to the stage. I always used it in the scene. I was like, no, I'm always, I was always folding napkins in my improv work. <laughs> really, I was watching what you do. the funniest lines. And then a friend of mine would write them in black permanent marker on the backstage wall so that I would achieve immortality. That's, that's how you remembered. <laughs> Until the theater was torn down twice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about this particular episode because we got a long one, folks. We do, man. Get ready. Uh, if you enjoyed reading War and Peace in high school um, or just a fan of Warren B. Harding, you're going to love this episode where we paid tribute to the 1998 Beatles anthology inspired compilation, The Lennon Anthology. Yes, yes, because this week John Lennon would have celebrated his 80th birthday. And uh, we are paying homage to the legend, the man, the flawed genius of John Winston Lennon. Yeah. John Winston Ono Lennon. Right. He kept adding to his name as he went. Right. So, uh, you know, it it is John Lennon's, this would be his 80th birthday. And what's very strange is in December, December 8th, in fact, of 2020, he will have been dead longer than he was alive. Yeah. And it's it's sobering and absurd uh, to think that John Lennon, who's lived on spiritually and certainly the music and Beatles music keeps getting discovered by new generations. Anytime there's an act of terrorism or massive you know, issues in the country, imagine is sung. So John Lennon's legacy's lived on. But you and I are about the last generation. We were, what, six? Were you five or six when John Lennon was killed? I, I was six. five. Yeah, I was five. I get it. You're younger. You look better. It's fine. <laughs> so uh, we we at least, I mean, I, I certainly had a, had a passing uh, uh, knowledge of John Lennon. I was already a fan back then. And uh, we're in our mid-40s right now, Tony, and we're yeah. the last to really remember John Lennon as being alive on, uh, I was about to say alive on this earth, which is a genius statement, as, <laughs> as opposed to alive <laughs> elsewhere. But yeah, so this is a big, you know, they're releasing, Put on and your maybe we'll get suit. to this around the holidays. <laughs> Exactly. He's got to look uh, your best. He's going out into the cité. <laughs> He's stepping out. I, I, I'm also living just enough for the cité. Um, <laughs> Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder, I think, is my all-time favorite number two. We'll get into that at some other point. Um, but yeah, they're releasing this week, in fact, a four-album box set, not of outtakes, but it's called Gimme Some Truth. It's the 9,000th John Lennon Greatest Hits compilation. 
this time remixed. So if you need to hear Attica State remixed, now's the time to spend $200 on this box set. Um, nothing new, just the mixes, no unreleased stuff, no more lost Lennon tape stuff. Huh. But this Lennon anthology from 98, never available on vinyl, nope. not available for streaming, not nope. available on... I mean, you can gank songs from YouTube, but it's not part of the catalog on mm-hmm. iTunes or Amazon Music or Spotify or any of that shit. You got to find the CDs of this. And it is, it was and remains a seminal massively important addition to the John Lennon catalog, especially if you're a fan. If you haven't heard it, there are moments that will stun you and will just knock you out. This uh, this set has not left my sight since I bought it, yeah, over 20 years ago now, I guess. Um, it's four discs. There's 94 tracks. It's studio outtakes. It's home demos. There's some live performances. And then these funny, like, there's some vignettes and some satires. It comes with a great book. which has uh, all the liner notes, you know, all the information about what was recorded. Uh, Yoko's got some, some really great stuff. It was basically, if it weren't for Yoko, this wouldn't exist. They, she had all the tapes. These are home tapes. And she was reluctant to do it at first because of the pain, because it was still just so painful. The nostalgia you think you want it, but like once you get into it, like sometimes it can be really painful, especially if those people are no longer around. Well, and especially calling this stuff in all John's home demos. I mean, you've got John and Sean messing around with each other when Sean is five or four. Because Sean was yeah. born in 75, so he would have been five yeah. years old when John was was killed. Um, or thereabouts. You've got, like, in the 79, four-year-old Sean Lennon uh, singing with a little help from my friends. <laughs> and John can't remember. Yeah, I mean, but the, getting the lyrics wrong. Get, yeah, which in fairness, <laughs> where was Mark Lewison? Do not, <laughs> I don't know why it would be him. <laughs> no, but John John can't remember the title of the song, right, which, which is a fun moment. Which is very funny. And as he admitted in the Rolling Stone interview in 1980, uh, he didn't remember half of his songs. He had to go back and kind of remember how they went. Um, yeah. But yeah, this was, I, I can see why it was so raw for Yoko. Uh, this had been in the works about a decade before it came out. It was in the late 80s, kind of, it had started being compiled initially um, after the John Lennon Imagine film, uh, which was, for me as a ninth grader, I want to say, yeah, it would have been ninth grade, was just earth-shattering. That Lennon Imagine film I saw at the Bloomingdale's Theater um, <laughs> on uh, uh, Michigan, Michigan Avenue, Avenue, 900 yeah. North Michigan. 900 North Mish, yeah. They used to have yeah. a huge movie theater in there, like early, like THX. It was one of those cool uh, theaters. Oh, wow. I, I saw it there, and I remember just being so awash. That was before the Give Me Some Truth documentary was, mm-hmm. was around and or easily available. And that apparently inspired Yoko to get going on it because of the Beatles anthologies and such from the early to mid 90s. They held off till 98. And when this thing came out, it was a gift to John Lennon fans. Nothing like it's been released since and nothing like it was ever released beforehand. Yeah, it's broken down into four discs. Uh, Disc one is Ascot, that uh, white colored mansion they lived in for a year or two. Disc two is New York City which is the when they got political. Que pasa, New York. <laughs> Disc three covers The Lost Weekend, mm-hmm. which is mostly 1974. And then uh, disc four is the Dakota era. Most of it is 79 and 80. Yeah. And there's a few weird songs from the wrong era on each disc, which yep. I don't understand. Like the 
I don't know why, if that was a sequencing thing, but the John's demo for Ringo's Only You that was on Goodnight Vienna in 74. Yes. May, I don't know if it was on the album or if it was a single. I'm for, Forgive me, Ringo fans, for forgetting if it was on Goodnight Vienna or not. I think it was. But that's one of the last tracks on the disc for uh, Dakota era stuff from six years previous. So it's just very weird. But yeah. for the most part, they did it great. Yeah, it's got some stuff that, yeah, if you're familiar with the material, you'll. it's just another wonderful way to hear it. And you also get a great insight into his how he creates things and how he works. Uh, he's mostly in a good mood, but there's there's a moment or two where you can see him where he's working and he's maybe slightly frustrated. And it's cool. It's cool. Well, should we just like, let's dig into it. You know, let's go like d- through the discs and see what happens. Let's do it. Let's start with disc three and then go three, <laughs> then the second half of disc four. Memento style. Yeah, on, on the Dave Dexter version of this, Big Barn Red kicks it off. <laughs> So, yeah, disc one is called Ascot after the White House that, uh, not the White House, but the white <laughs> the estate John Lennon lived in, made famous in the the, uh, the Give Me Some Truth documentary that he sold to Ringo, and then Ringo sold to the president of the United Arab Emirates. Oh, I didn't know that. I That's, didn't know that. I went down a deep dive, yeah, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, in, go. In, the, uh, in the book, Yoko admits that that was the fourth mansion that they looked at. There was some like castle that was owned by a poet, but they felt that it was like living in a museum and they didn't even want to put a new coat of paint on the walls because they thought it would, you know, ruin it. Um, Then there was another one that was perfect, but Yoko was afraid of it because it was too spooky. And Lennon was like, oh, it'd be like living in a horror movie, which he thought was fun. (laughs) (laughs) He did in L.A. in 74. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I always say it's Malibu. I guess they were in Santa Monica, wherever the hell they were, man, wherever the hell they were. Just driving around, listening to Sheryl Crow, what you do in California. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Lennon loved peeling the beer labels off his beer bottles. Just That's what he did, and he'd he'd lick them and tape them to the wall. (laughs) And that was the poster for the White Album. Smothers kicked him out. (laughs) He walked in with a toilet seat in his neck. But yeah, so this uh, this disc one is filled with I the it kicks off with songs that are from my favorite John Lennon album, the Plastic Ono Band, which I still believe is the most raw. I think it's the best of all the solo Beatle albums. I think it's the most raw and direct and painful and difficult and beautiful. It's everything at once. And there's no other solo Beatles album that to me attains so many different things so well. Yeah. Now, the the thing is, the songs are so sparse anyway that the demos don't exactly enlighten a ton. Most of the demos from Plastic Ono Band aren't, they're cool, but they aren't essential with a couple exceptions. What do you think? You want to go track by track? Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We can call them out. Yeah. It starts off with Working Class Hero. Yeah. What I understand about this song was that he wanted to add another verse to it after he'd already done this session that opens it up. And so they had to like, I think he uses a different guitar. Like you can actually hear the edit now. And I don't know if that's going to ruin that song for people now, but oh no, I think it's like the third verse or something. You can, I finally heard the edit. It was pointed out on the, the sap be the something about the Beatles podcast. And now I've heard it and I'm like, Oh, that's a different day, different guitar, but it's in that song. We don't mention other <laughs> fucking Beatles podcasts on this one. Holmes. We cool. No, stop rolling. Are we fucking cool? I'm sorry, TJ. I'll, I'll, I'll beep it out. It'll be one of those really obnoxious follow-ups, bleeps, and blunders. Edit this out. I quit. 
Okay, I'm back. Is that how you quit with just the little note there? <laughs> okay, listen. I, I, first of all, fuck you. <laughs> second of all, I quit. <laughs> I'm going to leave now very quietly. <laughs> My recorder's still here from last week. Oh, it's good. It's gonna be great. I should honestly, we should. I should get a drum kit going because I could play, but it'll be Zoom. Our timing will be off, but <laughs> all the better. Our timing was off when we used to play together. That's amazing. <laughs> That's why they called us the timeless wavelengths. Our timing was terrible. We had, didn't have it. <laughs> so yeah so working class hero uh that's a great run through it there's a little tag of of um well 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 at the very end which is kind of cool oh yeah that's right yeah, yeah it fades out yeah 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 it's just him with his acoustic guitar and that's it um that's what that song is yeah nothing is is ever finished on that it, yeah. it's very similar to the beatles anthology where you're you're hearing you know these imperfect versions that are more perhaps interesting than hits or whatever. Yeah, that's that's well put. And the next one is God, which is my favorite song off that album. And it's a totally different reading without um, without Billy Preston's piano. I think Billy Preston's playing piano on God. It's just guitar, drums, and bass. And yeah, they're, they're figuring it out. Like the tempo's a little bit faster. It almost swings. Ringo's almost swinging it a little bit, which is interesting. In that weird Ringo swing way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting take, and it's you know it's before they figured out when to really stop the song and clear for that. I just believe in me line. So yeah, right after I don't believe in Beatles, which to me is that is the same chill I get when I listen to Day in the Life. There's certain songs that just arrest you, and that's one of them. Yeah, the way the music drops out. I don't believe in Beatles. He says it's so kind of caustic. Yeah. And then the music's out, and he just comes in as clear as a bell with I just believe in me. Yeah. It's one of the great moments on record for any band or any artist. So this version is like hearing him, you know, leading up to figuring out that moment. They do have a break in the song, but it's later. Yeah, it's uh, it's after it's around the dream is over part that they uh, do the break. But yeah, they're figuring it out. It's cool. It's great. If you if you're a musician or even if you're not, it's cool to hear people figure out their art, you know, before it's finished. It's cool. Uh, where are you with the song God? I love it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, me too. Honestly, that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I meant God part two by you, too. <laughs> I thought you meant God Part Three with George Burns and, and, and John Denver. <laughs> That's right. But that was the tri- part of the trilogy of God Devil. What was that movie? Yeah, oh, you, oh God, you Devil is what it was called. I think, right? That's right. It's something like that. I will say this: I saw it on TV. I saw one of those Oh God movies on TV, and it's John Denver driving a car, and George Burns is in the back seat, or however it's it is, and it starts raining in the car, and as like I must have been five. Probably was about the I was about the age John Lennon died, and I it just it blew my mind. I was like, "Wow, that's so cool." Do, do you remember <laughs> I saw at the Airy Crown Theater in Chicago John Denver and George Burns doing the stage version of Driving Miss Daisy, and it was, <laughs> I mean, emotional. I almost bought I bought that for us. I thought you were like, "Wow, you saw John Denver?" Oh, oh, <laughs> he reeled me in. I heard Airy Crown Theater. You got me with that nostalgia. I heard Airy Crown Theater. I'm like, oh, I, I think I saw the circus there. Does that make sense? I saw the circus sometime in 82 when the people in the motorcycles were in that that steel cage globe. Right. 
It was insane to me. I saw the circle there, and they sang Red Rubber Ball. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have one of their other 45s, and I've since forgotten what their other non-hit was. Yeah, the circle. By the way, wasn't it John Lennon named that band, right? Did he? I don't know the story. I think John Lennon named that band. I heard that somewhere because it's spelled funny. It's spelled very Lennon. C-Y-R-K-L-E. That's right. John Lennon was a guest on Name That Band, the first (laughs) reality show of that era. Yeah, it was on after Shindig, uh, Jimmy O'Neill and Dick Clark, their production team. Anyway, oh man, this is definitely a two-parter. (laughs) <laughs> Without, uh, I'll take we're the on, over on that so, We're on song three of uh, No, we're on song let two me, Let me All call right. my divorce lawyer real quick and, uh, <laughs> No, Carrie, I'll be done by nine <laughs> The next track on there is one that I find I love this one So it's I Found Out But it's like the home demo version So it's just him and a guitar But the guitar sounds really wild It sounds like the way Keith Richards got his sound for... Um, Street Fighting Man or whatever he did when he used to record with like a portable tape recorder. So it's this really gritty, dirty sounding guitar that it sounds like it's an electric, but it's an acoustic. It's some of the bluesiest uh, guitar playing from Lennon you'll ever hear on record. He just he's he's playing great. It's almost like the Escher version or pre night 2018 Escher version of I Found Out. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I told you before. Now talk about caustic. You had mentioned that earlier with Beatles. Yeah. When he says that line about, I found religion from Jesus to Paul. Uh The way he says Paul on this version is insane. Like the P is definitely a plosive. Yeah, it's it's plosive, it's caustic, and it's pointed. It's one of the the times where the sardonic John, sardonic John, sardonic John too, if you believe that word exists. But this is where sardonic John appears on the record. Um, it's it's a great one. And uh, moving on, we talk about the next track, which is "Hold On." It's a quick little snippet of "Hold On," and it's almost done as it's a beautiful little song on the record, Plastic Ono record. But on this, it's almost like a '50s romp. It's just a yeah. It's just a fun kind of romp. It's bluesier, yeah. It's got a shuffle to it. Definitely prefer the studio version, though. Oh yeah. And I just found out—I forget if I mentioned this on a previous podcast—but you know, in that song when he goes, "Cookie." Cookie, yeah. I guess he was like obsessed with Cookie Monster. That's what that is. <laughs> totally. I didn't know that. Well, because he does it in Ringo's early 1970. Laying in bed, watching TV, Cookie. With his mama by his side, she's Japanese. I love it. And I think that's one of the reasons why John Lennon is, I guess he's always been my favorite Beatle. If we have to do that, you know, it seems like that's the thing we as a society have decided to do is label things our favorites and rank things and this and that. But he's the one that I just enjoyed the most because, yeah, he's got this beautiful love song. But in the middle of it, he throes in this little comedic cookie non sequitur to just kind of take the heaviness off of everything. Yeah, I, I always imagine your favorite Beatle was uh, Andy White. <laughs> well, he hit the crash symbol when he was supposed to, not the ride. So, <laughs> gotta give George Martin credit. Favorite Beatles, <laughs> second favorite Beatles, two suck with. The um, <laughs> next track on here is "Isolation," another kind of lonely, desolate song from Plastic Ono Band. 
And I love it because it's got Ringo and John chatting. It's a few moments in this where Ringo and John are chatting. There's a couple where George is doing a countdown later on. Yeah. John played a ton with George and Ringo. There's a few tracks where they were basically John, George, Ringo, and Klaus Vorman on bass as where Paul McCartney would have sat. There's a, a few of those on this box set. And it's neat, the piano triplets where John is singing against... The what the piano's doing uh, is really astonishing, and I'm forgetting if it's on the uh, official uh, isolation of Plastic Ono Band, but it's certainly pronounced here in a way that just kind of I think it might be, but it's pronounced and mixed so high and hot here that it just feels more in your face, which I love. Yeah, yeah, and it's fun to hear them work it out too. They're figuring out those little parts where they're going to be hitting, you know, resting and hitting and not just playing the beats and. Yeah, I, I, that to me I love. Like when Pet Sounds 40th came out and gave you a disc of them working on the arrangements, that to me is just gold. Um, as someone who makes music, as someone who creates music, when you, you're able to let, it's like being in the same room as Picasso painting. You're seeing like what they're doing. Yeah, it's like I, I was an intern for years for Sean Hannity's television program. <laughs> and to get to watch an artist at work... <laughs> where are we what oh yeah okay we have 500 more songs to go <laughs> but isolation that's one of my favorites yeah. off of off off of that record it's such great john piano playing with such a weird cool chord progression it's beatly but it's forward thinking at the same time it's a gorgeous song and this is a cool ass version of it yeah i mean for me i'm probably going to linger more on on discs one and four those are my two favorites. me too right? although the middle of disc three is the reason to buy the box set <laughs> But yes, one and four are the essential discs on this. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's followed up by what I think is an essential version of an essential song. And it's different. It's love. No piano. No piano. This is a guitar version of it. So it's just great. It's just another great version to hear of this. It's a beautiful song. D, F sharp minor. Love is real. The bridge is beautiful and unexpected where the bridge goes to a different key before coming back. Um, but it is a song that I think if you had to make a list of the most underrated great John Lennon songs, um, I think love is probably right near the top yeah. because it feels like it should be a standard and it isn't. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I, I don't know how, I don't know if Ducky ruined it or whatever by singing it in one of those <laughs> 16 Candles movies oh, or what? God, I haven't thought of that since 88 or something. Oh, <laughs> did I get that right? Because I think I've seen those movies once. Okay, yeah, was that six with that 16 Candles? It's one of those. There was a movie for the, from our generation that we watched a lot of that had a character called Long Duck Dong. Yeah, fuck the 80s. <laughs> I yeah, rescind man. them. Oh, totally. Although I'm keeping no, Huey Lewis without apology, I will not apologize <laughs> for loving Huey Lewis in the news. I won't do it. Yeah. Most of Back to the Future holds up, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, the 80s had some good stuff, but it had a lot of bad stuff. A lot of bad stuff. Biff is Trump. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, watch part two. That's we're living in part two right now. It's this anyway. Get well soon. Um <laughs> So then, yeah, still on Plastic Ono here, uh, the next song is Mother. Uh, again, this is a studio outtake, and again, no piano. So this is like a guitar. This is just like, it's the core group again. It's the trio. And it's it's cool. You you, you hear like the them working on the song, and you hear Lennon say to the engineer, like, all right, it starts here. Like, they're playing the song, but then he yeah. says, it starts here. And that's how, that's how it is on the record, you know? That's not, the band didn't come in on... They, they didn't start there. They were playing, you know, and theoretically during those bells, mm-hmm. you know, those slowed down slow-mo bells. Uh, s- slow-mo bells was my orthodox name for <laughs> <laughs> slow-mo bells when I, when I played the Yiddish circuit. <laughs> hey, how are you? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I love when he's, when in, um, in uh, uh, Mother, by the way, ends with that rock breakdown, which I think is really neat. It just ends with this breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. You can hear distortion in the guitar. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. You don't think of Mother as a song with distorted guitar on it. Mother. And that's him. That's like, the, I think that's the general, the, the natural distortion of an overdriven amp. That's, that's Lennon playing the strings loudly so that it does distort. It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's a cool effect. Uh, next track is Remember, which has always been one of the weird kind of it's it's a weird rhythmic track. It never quite. I love this song. I, I I do too. But it's it's got a strange own kind of rhythm, and you can hear on this working <laughs> through it. He's telling Ringo, "What does he say? Fucking hell!" He's telling Ringo how fast it is. By yeah. this point, when this is recorded, they've been playing together for what uh, almost a decade. Yeah, just about because this is 1970. So and yeah, Ringo started playing with them in '62. So it's been eight years or whatever. But yeah, yeah. And so they know each other so well after all they've been through that it's not like a mean note. It's not It's not like the Paul and George brouhaha from mm-hmm. Let It Be. This is two guys who are clearly still thrilled to be playing with each other, just kind of working it out. And then the well, whole... he's laughing. Yeah, he's laughing in the whole song. He's laughing. He's like, fast as fucking hell. And then he's like, looky here. And he plays the tempo. But then he... So Lennon sets the tempo with his piano, but it's way too slow. <laughs> so if you I was going to say, I've always loved in the song the kind of uh, the tip of the hat to Sam Cooke. Oh, I don't even know. If you ever change your mind about leaving me behind is from Bring It On Home to Me, which is one of the oh Sam Cooke songs John always loved that he cites in this that I've always kind of, it's just a cool little tip of the hat in uh, a weird spot. Yeah, I never put that together. Thank you. That's okay. great because I love that song. It's a great one. That's one of the great, I love how herky-jerky the rhythm is. It's so weird and it's so different and it's propulsive and it's just a great John Lennon song. Well, let, Ringo does a funny thing. You know how, you know that Cars song, um, just what I needed. Just okay, sure. So you know, on just how I needed in the verse, the drummers one, two, three, four, with the snares on the twos and the fours, and then in like the last verse, then the snare goes on the ones and the threes. Yeah. I don't mind you coming here and wasting all my time, time, because when you're standing outside. 
Yeah, it's a weird trick. That, anyway, Ringo does that on this song, and it's and that's when Lennon starts to lose it, and he's like, "Hold the rhythm, <laughs> it's a, it's a, hold the hold the rhythm." It's so funny that that same trick is done. Why am I forgetting the drummer's name? Is it Jim Gordon from Derek and the Dominoes and Bell Bottom Blues? He's doing it on the one and the three. It just it's it's a weird right. trick that was done quite a bit around then. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Well, and that's what Give Peace a Chance is, too, which uh, we'll get to that later. But yeah. you hear, oh, you hear yeah. Lennon, people are, are doing, people are actually clapping on the twos and fours like they should be. But Lennon's like, no, no, we're doing it on the, on the, you're doing the upbeats. We want on the downbeats. Yeah. Which, which is, that's Give Peace a Chance. But uh, anyway, remember, great song, great version. This is, that, this to me is a reason to pick up, one of the many reasons to pick up this set, if you can. And the song that follows, the version of it is, I think, one of the essential highlights of this box set. There was a set that they released out of this, we should mention, a single disker. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I work for EMI's A&R. It's a single disker. <laughs> we're going to release it on the holidays. We're going to give it a list price $17.99. People are going to buy it, and then we're going to get out of print. Then I'm going to go fuck a woman who ain't my wife, and get back and get a bonus, because the record industry is never going to go south. <laughs> that guy. Yeah, man. Uh, A&R. A and R, right. Not to be confused by A and M moment of silence for Herb Alpert. Herb Alpert. I meant Herb, Herb Alpert. Herb Alpert. That was my confirmation name. Can you confirm that? So the version of Imagine uh on this is astonishing. And there I'm I'm gonna call this out right now. It's got an organ in the back, and I, I've Googled it, I've looked, maybe you know, I don't know who's playing organ on the oh, track. It's I do, I can tell you. And it's a harmonium. Uh, it's a harmo- yes, it's a harmonium. It's in the book. If you go on those last few pages of the book, I don't PK, read. <laughs> they give you the uh, the personnel. So it is John Barham. John, you're totally John right. I just missed Barham. that. John Barham with Alan White on drums, John Lennon, of course, playing the piano part and singing. But it's the harmonium is just front and center, and it's really cool. Yeah, and this is take one. So this is Imagine Take One. Uh, was was recorded in their house at, at Ascot, and uh, yeah, in the beginning, you can hear people say like, "Can you tell them to be quiet in the kitchen?" <laughs> quiet in the kitchen. It's so funny. <laughs> We're recording a fucking song that's going to become immortal. <laughs> can you guys keep it down with your teacups? <laughs> that's right. I th- I know you're not as into the hyperbole factor as I am, but is it fair to call "Imagine" the most famous song John Lennon ever wrote and performed? Well, there's Wild Honey Pie. (laughs) (laughs) Which the Pixies covered. Oh, Terry Hammer plays it three times a Sunday. (laughs) All right. Oh, here's a wonderful fish cover of of Revolution Number 9. It's 18 minutes and nobody wants to hear it. (laughs) I want to know who Susie and the Banshees are covering this week. Oh, and I got to be honest. Susie and the Banshees and Your Bird Can Sing is probably... And they do the giggle version too. That would drive me crazy. Um, but yeah, so at any rate, that Imagine is incredible. It follows up with a quick segment, uh, a little talking bit of Yoko and John. It's called Fortunately. And it's chilling, right? Because yeah. uh, Yoko says, In the end, I wonder what's going to happen. And John says, Fortunately, we don't know. And it's one of those premonition moments. Uh, Yoko has said there were a few. I've I've read this in a few different places where the week John died, Yoko felt something 
was amiss. Hmm. And I think she was, I, I get chills even talking about this, but Yoko kind of said to John, get out of the city, get out of New York for a bit. Double Fantasy was uh, was wrapped. They were working on what would become Milk and Honey. Get out of here. And John said, I don't want to get out of here. I, w- I want to be with you. Yeah, the, uh, Christmas is coming up. We got the success yeah. of the new album. I'm planning a tour. And he was working yeah. in the studio. And then we all know what happened on the 8th of, of December, which is, you know, with the exception of, you know, after what I'm forgive the rankings, Tony, but you know, with JFK and Martin Luther King, it's a third mo- and well, and Abraham Lincoln, I'll put him on the list too. But certainly in the last, you know, fr- from from the midpoint of the last century, it's one of the three most significant murders in American or pop culture history. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely was stupid. <laughs> It, it it it's still I, I I won't say his name ever since I got I think we were, you and I mean I would have been in eighth grade you would have been in seventh grade I think when People Magazine did the we're going to do a seven part series where we interview John Lennon's killer and get his side of the story it was one of those things yeah. and his yeah. name was Plas I remember seeing it at supermarkets everywhere and uh, the old jewel on Division I remember seeing it there oh, wow. the old uh, tre- the old uh, Treasure Island on 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 uh, Wells. And I remember seeing the magazine there and like even my parents who weren't as into the Beatles as I was by them were like, we'll never buy this magazine again. Wow. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it was exploitative. And yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, I was I was thinking like I I, and I avoid this kind of thinking because there's no use in it. But I do wonder, like, what kind of music would he have created? Would you know, I we saw the direction it was going in Double Fantasy. But when you hear some of these demos and things on this record, it was like, man, I wish, I just wish that he would have been around for when Rick Rubin started producing people like Johnny Cash and Neil Diamond, and Lennon would have been amazing with just a guitar. Like you, it, or, or you know, yes to Rick Rubin, or what Nigel Godrich did with um, Paul McCartney with Chaos and Creation. Yeah, you, you've got to. You, I, I mean, w- this could be its own episode, Tony. Uh, so many things we talk about in Beatle World could be because. Th- Every Beatles topic is so rich with both history and potential fantasy. And potential fantasy was what they call double fantasy in some European markets. That's, that's the Dave Dexter version of it, which which actually opened with Here Comes the Moon. Um, but I love that. The new Dave Dexter bit's my favorite bit. But it does make you wonder... John and Paul would have played together at some point. John and George certainly would have. But the way history would have changed, right? If John had lived, would there have been... A George Harrison new in Cloud Nine. Would Paul have needed an Elvis Costello comeback with Flowers in the Dirt? The whole history of the solo Beatles would have been irreparably and immeasurably different had John Lennon lived. I'm not saying that would have been a bad thing. I'm just saying so many things were centered around John Lennon's death. And looking back at the Beatles from that perspective of John's no longer here, and we're going on 40 years of how different the world's been and the, how different the Beatle world and Beatle history would have been. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Well, I mean, as we all know, if he were alive today, he would be a fisherman, you know, living alone in a hut wearing these little John Denver glasses. <laughs> Talking like this and speaking in cliches in, in, in the film yesterday. Yeah, he would be huh. very polite and boring and, uh, yeah, have nothing to offer, really. So, yeah. Fuck you yesterday. <laughs> you too, scrambled eggs. <laughs> So, yeah. at any rate, fortunately, is a very short-spoken track and very chilling. Uh, the next track that comes up is a blues cover that I'd only heard live 
as part of Sometime in New York City, but it's a blues cover called Baby Please Don't Go, and it's just a kicking version of it. Yeah, yeah, it's heavy. It's heavy blues. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, so now we're getting into Imagine. And uh, next up is where you hear George. You were talking about that earlier. George does the false start into one of my favorite songs from that record, Oh My Love. Me too. One of my very favorite songs from that record. Totally. Yeah. It's got that White Album feel to it uh, to me, meaning like the Julia, the Dear Prudence to a degree feel. And John's piano, to me, it is the closest he got to what Paul did on like a Let It Be or Along a Winding Road. It's John playing spiritually. I mean, obviously the song Imagine too, but how delicate this one is and how the melody rises and falls. It's very Paul piano-esque. Yeah. Now, this is another reason to, to get it. And you, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's again, it's a, like a rough version. So you hear his little... His little secret countenance to the band to keep people in time. Because it's a quiet, delicate song. Yeah. And just it's a beautiful cool. one with George playing that beautiful, tasteful lead guitar. Um, yeah. Ringing off. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, my, The note, because unlike you, I hadn't... Li- I mean, I listened to some of the tracks for a Lennon episode we did a few months ago, but I hadn't listened start to finish until the uh, until this week in prob- maybe a decade. And it was oh, so good. Wow. Yeah. You've been missing out. I, I, uh, tell me about it. I mean, I've I picked favorite tracks from mixes, but the start to finish all four discs is something I did over the last few days, and it was just so inspiring and so wonderful to hear. I My note for this is this is my favorite version of the song. That's cool. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's totally great. Recommended. So the next song in here is Jealous Guy. Yeah, yeah. And so this is like the naked version. So there's yeah. no whistling, there's no strings, the flux fiddlers have not arrived yet. Uh yeah, it's a cool it's a cool, yeah, naked version. If you want to karaoke your your whistle part, you can do it here. <laughs> That's right. That's why he did it. He saw the karaoke <laughs> trend happening twenty years later. Yeah, it, it's it's a great one. It's a great song that of course goes all the way back. People who listen to this podcast are probably aware that the song goes back to India when it was called Child of Nature. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad he gave it the rewrite because that child of nature kind of dates it for me. Um, yeah. The Jealous Guy's universal. On the road to Rishikesh. <laughs> yeah, very literal <laughs> lyrics, yeah. right? It's very literal. And and perfect for what it was. Like, I have so much respect for his, his work on the melody and what he was trying to say with the lyrics right around the same time as he did Sexy Sadie. Mm-hmm. Which was, of course, uh, about the ma- <laughs> what have you done? Yeah, and the Beatles were like, no, don't do it. We're, we're already bigger than Jesus. You don't need this one. <laughs> yeah, we're bigger than Jesus. You already put your dick on an album cover. <laughs> right. Well, we're we're good. We that did. album on, I believe, Tetragammon Records. Is that was that the label that put out? Yeah. Oh, that's I, funny. I, even Apple and Zapple wouldn't touch it. They're like, you know, John, you're a fourth of the company, but we'll pass. <laughs> I, that's great. That's good trivia. Now that's good trivia. I would not have known the record label that put out two virgins is what we're talking I'm, about. I'm very, I'm weird with record labels. You <laughs> I are. That I love going it. For me, I love which it. Which is nice. And matrix um, numbers. Uh, so then he's got a little version of Maggie May here. This is actually recorded in 79. Yeah. Which is one of the, I was going to say it was one of the out of place ones on this disc, which yeah. just comes out of nowhere. I love this. This yeah. to me is is great. It captures to me. It's a snapshot of Lennon living his life at home. You can hear the TV on in the background. I, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's a TV. Uh, it's like these classical string sounding things um, that sound real tinny. So I doubt it's coming off of a hi fi or something. So yeah, it's just him. He watched a lot of TV, and 
you know, he watched like uh, a lot of like the, the local New York call-in cable access programming uh-huh. and yeah, like what was it? Uh, Uncle Floyd. I think he was a fan of Uncle Floyd, which is a wild little New Jersey show. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, direct from a long engagement at Fat Boy's Restaurant at 40 Washington Street in West Orange. Let's have a nice Uncle Floyd show. Welcome for that dancing star of the hour, Bob the Bird, right here. It was, it's cool. You can find go go. You can find him on YouTube. It's fun fun snapshots of like New York City slash New Jersey in the eighties. Okay. Yeah. Before Giuliani kind of half fucked it up and half made it better. That's and listen, I hate Giuliani now. I've always hated Rudy Giuliani. I think he's just a bum. But like, yeah, it is cool to walk around New York. And, you know, there was a time in like the early 80s where I look what happened to John Lennon. Granted, that was an obviously inside deranged situation. But New York was dangerous in the late 70s, early 80s. It kind of gave it some of its beautiful grit. Yeah. It sucked to see it go, but it's also nice not getting shot when you leave 42nd Street. Yeah. The musical, I mean. (laughs) Come and meet those dancing feet. A lot of a lot of people got shot for seeing that because it's just <laughs> what it is. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know anything about that musical. I, I've heard of it. How about that? It's it, you know, it's one of those musicals that has so much tap dancing. You need four fucking Advil when you walk out of there. I respect <laughs> the art of tap dancing in theory, but like two hours later, it's like Jesus, put on a softer shoe for five minutes. <laughs> That's funny, man. Yeah, uh, it's, it's very true. So uh, the next song, of course, is uh, we I think we've talked about this before, Tony. We don't need to belabor this point. But one of my least favorite John Lennon songs, because it's always made me feel so uncomfortable, especially the version of the song in Give Me Some Truth, where John refers to Paul McCartney with the C word. Um, this song has always made me feel really, really uncomfortable. Yeah. And the song is, of course, How Do You Sleep? Yes. Yeah. And this is an outtake. Uh, yeah, they're just they're they're working it out. It's very similar to the version that you see in "Give Me Some Truth" on on tape. Uh, yeah, it's that song. You know, they he was getting out all those years of pent up, you know, frustrations, and you know, it's it's two brothers fighting, and they're they're in a a rough patch, and now it's committed to tape. <laughs> and, and and you know, Paul's assault on John seems so much more benign if too many people was Paul going crazy. Like that's not, you know, too many people preaching practices is different than those freaks was right when they said you was dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's different. Yeah. (laughs) Paul was being a little more vague and John was not. (laughs) Yeah. John was narrowing it down to one person. And George playing guitar on this makes it even more, you know, it just, it, it's hard. It's hard as a lover of the Beatles to love this song. I know a lot of John Lennon fans do. This one's always sat poorly with me. Yeah, it's divisive. Yeah. Um, and So let me ask you this, then. You must prefer Steel and Glass, which is basically this song without the Paul lyrics. Well, but this song, but about Alan Klein, right? I, I always thought right, Steel and Glass was right, about... With your New I, I always York thought walk, that was about right. Alan Klein, yeah. And I always thought Steel and Glass bordered vaguely on anti, anti-Semitism. Right. The way Trump refers to New York is... You know, a lot of people talk about liberal New York. New York's like a placeholder for Jews. Right, right. At least it and always has been to me. And, and Hollywood media, and all right. that, yeah, yeah. Holly weird. (laughs) 
That's what Elvis called it. Now, don't get... I know about, you know... I'm going to turn you on to Elvis, though. I'm going to play you his... Good. Yeah, tell you what, why don't you play me the nine-minute dance remix of a little less conversation, a little more action. That'll do it for He's me. Not, he didn't put that out. He doesn't have two turntables. <laughs> and one DJ. Yeah. He had DJ Fontana on drums. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. So the next one is one of the dumbest songs in the John Lennon catalog. Give Peace a Chance? Oh, I, I had already oh, jumped oh, to oh, do it. Oh, I jumped. I'm sorry, sir. You're right. Go ahead. I fucked up. Start again. Sorry. Uh, I had jumped to God Save Oz and Do the Oz. You're right. Which are You're right. So stupid. They were performed by half of a band that became Splinter, which was on George Harrison's Dark Horse label, Billy Elliot, I think. Yeah, it was Bill, Billy Elliot recorded it. Yeah. yeah. Elton John made a beautiful musical about his life. He was a young, young gay dancing boy who wasn't accepted in the steel mill. I have no idea, but wasn't that guy also Billy Elliot? <laughs> I don't know. I th- I did a little, because I was like, what's with these Oz songs? I was like, what, what is going on with this stuff? Because they're my two least favorite songs, probably on the record yet i get it in my head at least god save odds i it's there's something about it that's wormy and it gets in your head and it's like oh, i would prefer you not be in there uh so i anyway yeah bill elliott uh, according to lennon was like a guy that kind of sounded like paul but didn't have a lot of singing experience and uh he didn't want to put this come <laughs> quickly <laughs> <laughs> so Oz, the Oz in question has nothing to do with Wizard of Oz. Oz was an underground publication in Britain that had, I guess they'd been recently raided and charged with like obscenity stuff and this and that. So they reached out to him. Can you write us a song to help us get out of this jam? And he was like, well, I can write you one, but I don't want to put it out because Power the, to the People just did well in the charts. And <laughs> I don't want this to follow that, <laughs> which which is smart. Makes sense. So. Yeah. He dusted off these song two sucked. songs and gave them to Billy Elliot and the uh, Oz Band or something like that. Elastic Oz Band. The Elastic Oz Band. It was a single and it barely charted. And it's one of those things you occasionally see at Reckless for sixteen ninety nine and go, I don't need this. <laughs> no. I don't need this. Not when it's just a YouTube away. You don't need no. that. <laughs> Um, so let, let's skip over those and get to another one of these seminal tracks in the Imagine album, which is not one of my favorites. Uh, I don't want to be a soldier, which to me yeah. is always just kind of meander. Like I get it, I respect it. I think it's it it's played in a very cool way. It just it doesn't as a John Lennon melody go anywhere for me. It's drony, yeah. It's it's one of those that's more of a rhythm and a feeling than a song. Uh, it's interesting because his vocal always starts somewhere different in the place of the the meter. It's a great point. So it's interesting in that way. It's a hard song to, if you're trying to wrangle it, you can't. So, but yeah, yeah. And so this is just a, an outtake of that. Yeah, it was never a favorite song of mine ever. Also, it's like six minutes long, you know. So there's that. It, and I it would feels say, it's like yeah. the. Oh, go on. I'm sorry. No, I, yeah, it's Zoom. I, I just wish, I just wish there'd been less reverb on the drums. Just, it's what I would say about the whole All Things Must Pass record. I would love to hear that that record more dry yeah all things must pass more than i think any album at this point although maybe maybe the Derek and the dominoes layla album but definitely all things must pass needs uh a, a new mix it and they've they've remastered it twenty thousand times it just needs a new mix that takes some of the the specterization 
um, off of it. There's a version of I Don't Want to Be a Soldier. You know, th- there's certain outtakes and versions left off of this. There's no instant karma on this box set, which is very, very strange. And there's a much better version of I Don't Want to Be a Soldier from a thing called the John Lennon Signature Box that came out as, oh, a, com- right. as, as a, a compendium disc to the, re- the ninth reissues of his CD catalog about 10 years ago that's got almost a countrified version that I only heard the, for the first time about a decade ago, and that's kind of my favorite weird because it's a different spin on it that sounds less drony and a little more, gives a little more life. Like, again, I, I get what he's trying to do. And as a commentary on the war, it's incisive, brilliant, and powerful. I'm not trying to demean the song. It just doesn't reside in my Lennon sweet spot, which no. is primarily Sleep Dick. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Surprising. I know. I just got to tell you. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I marked this next one as being one of my favorites. It's uh, the rehearsals for Give Peace a Chance. Me too. Is that right? Wow, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that we both are so enamored with this. It's it's brief, you know, and it breaks down, you know, it's it's a fade in, fade out kind of a thing. What do you like about it? I can tell you what I like about it, but what do you like about it? What I love about it is that it's soulful and it, it's way more soulful than kind of the marchy, dirgy four and a half minute single that was released. This one has a more musical feel to it. It's less chanty and more musical. Yeah. I also love, to your point earlier about not clapping on the twos and the fours, uh, John's teaching the rhythm to the group, to the crowd, is astonishing and beautiful to have on record. It's totally cool. Yeah. What about you? What's what, what what did it for you? I like I think it's Yoko. Yoko's singing. She has this harmony that yeah. is not on there. It's all we are saying is give peace a chance. Mm-hmm. And it, it she does it in her high register and it's just I love it. It's cool. I wish it had been on the yeah, the real record. Yeah, because Gippy's a Chance, also one of the weird trivia moments credited to Lennon McCartney, which is such a strange yeah. concept because that's before the breakup. Um, yeah. But this, it, it's... He wasn't willing to do that yet. No, which which is kind of neat. And this is one of the songs yeah. that I don't, I'm not putting Gippy's a Chance on mixes. That's kind of how we still judge stuff or on playlists. Totally. I get it. It's, it's part of all the greatest hits compilations. And by the way, John Lennon's greatest hits is one, people bash greatest hits albums, but whether it's Shaved Fish from the mid 70s or like some of the more recent ones, but especially Shaved Fish from 75. That was predominantly songs that weren't on albums. I think only half the songs were on albums. They build it as quote unquote collectible Lennon because Gibby's a Chance wasn't on a record. Yeah. Instant Karma wasn't on a record. The single version of uh, Mother wasn't on a record. Uh, a record. Uh, just the the edit, of course, the regular one was on Plastic Ono. So yeah, that's always been interesting to me. That's a great greatest hits album. Yeah. So I love that cover. Next up uh, is uh, a version of Look at Me. I love it. Which is another one of my favorite John Lennon songs and done beautifully here. Oh, I I love it. Yeah, this is a more rhythmic version of it. On the record, it is that Donovan taught Clawhammer style picking that I am a sucker for. But for some reason, this version, well, I love them both. So I guess it's going to depend on the day, but... I don't know. I found myself when I used to make mixes for people, I would put this version of this of the song on a mix. There's something about I it. I love that. I just love it. I, this is one I'd forgotten how be, how beautiful it was. Ah, oh, it's such a good song. 
the final song on disc one for me on the Ascot disc is one that I, the note I have is I remember this being revelatory to me when I first heard it in 98. It's one I'd never heard before. It's called Long Lost John. Yeah. And it's a cover oh. of a song from the from the 50s, I think. Yes, I think you're right. It must be a cover, but there's there's no writing credit given. It's it's just a cool song. It's played really cool, and I'd never heard it before. And in 1998, I mean, maybe it was done on Lost Lennon, on the Lost Lennon tapes. If it was, I didn't hear it. But I remember distinctly being 24 years old going, oh, fuck, it's a John Lennon song I've never heard before, and that flooring me at the time. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool little song, and there's a little mistake in it and everything. It's fun. Yeah. A little lyrical flub in there. And that's disc one, Ascot. Uh, moving on to disc two, New York City, which uh, this covers the years 1971 to 1973, uh, with a little bit of 1980 in there for fun. Yeah, one of the weird juxtapositions <laughs> of of, chron- of, chronolo- of cr- chronology. I don't believe in words. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So this opens with uh, a very cool little acoustic snippet of the song New York City, which is on some time in New York City and is kind of the cousin to Ballad of John and Yoko. It's neat. It's just a short acoustic run through. Agreed. Yeah. Most of the lyrics are about smoking dope. Yeah. And uh, then we go to two songs from uh, a live performance at the Apollo in 1972. That's right. This is when John Lennon guest starred on Showtime at the Apollo and the clown dragged him off to <laughs> hooting and hollering. <laughs> Stage was covered in lettuce. So it smelled great. It smelled very fresh. As lettuce always does. <laughs> yeah, lettuce this is. I, I, that's right. I'll see you at RJ Grunts. Um, yeah, the, I mean, Attica State, you know, I know you're a huge fan of the Sometime in New York City album. I know that's in your wheelhouse. It's fine. <laughs> You know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. No, to, uh, to be on the record, New York City's not my favorite record. I like two songs from that. I like the controversial single, and I like Yoko's We're All Water. Bullshit. Your favorite song of all time is Sisters, Oh Sisters, <laughs> <laughs> which is also my least favorite Norman Lear sitcom from 1975. <laughs> A lot of real tight ECUs on their faces whenever they... <laughs> Heavy, heavy moments came. Lots of abortions. <laughs> race relations were addressed. <laughs> Big show featuring Marla Gibbs as Marla Gibbs. Um, I will say the Imagine on here. Here's a note I took. This Imagine is all acoustic, okay? At the Apollo yeah, it's a guitar 72. Version. Just acoustic guitar. This, to me, is one of the moments of this is almost a definitive version of Imagine, the way While My Guitar Gently Weeps, the acoustic version from Anthology has become kind of a definitive While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Acoustic Imagine on guitar, not piano to me, makes it just about as important as the original Phil Spector co-produced creation. Interesting. That's cool. I just adore it. Yeah, I liked it because it was a new way to hear it. Like Anytime there's an alternate way to hear something, I'll I'll at least give it a, a whirl, and uh, yeah, it's great. It's it's cool. So I've and al- the crowd's nice too. I've always loved Piano Man on clarinet. I just love when <laughs> things are. <laughs> uh, nope. Close enough, dude. Tony yeah, Skill, he one note. He can play so many Billy Joel songs on the recorder. 
Oh, I'm going the wrong way. It's <laughs> okay. That so was... did Billy Joel while drunk on a motorcycle. Um, but yeah, I'm a huge... Hey, we got all the topical bits here. You know, we're doing topical Billy Joel bits. You know what I mean? Tom Hanks, Peter Scolari. <laughs> I do I do love Billy Joel, and I'm not ashamed to admit that. I like that song, and I used to watch that show, Bosom Buddies. Thank you. Thank you for that. that. The opening credits were like two and a half minutes. It was so great. Good idea. And they improvised, by the way. Scolari and Hanks improvised a ton of that show. Is that right? There's I a cool story about they just got beats and improvised around them, and they kept most of what was improvised which is kind of a cool thing that Tom Hanks had, that even though it wasn't a trained improviser, he at least had that in his kind of soul. Let me pitch something to you. Peter Scolari from Bosom Buddies, and then Greg Evigan from My Two Dads. We bring them together as like dad buddies. My two buddies. (laughs) My two buddies. (laughs) Yeah, instead of having kids, they have that doll, My Buddy. That they my buddy that they drag around my buddy, <laughs> and uh, that I would watch that show. I would see how in New York in New York one City one loves Obama, <laughs> one loves Trump. Can two divorced dads from bad, from eighty sitcom shows live together? Bosom buddies over my two dads, by the way. Well, for sure, hundred uh, percent. But the uh, the girl who was our age in my two dads was cute. So. I had such a, a huge crush on her. In fact, I think her name's Nicole Eggert, and I'm going to stop talking now. <laughs> talking now. It says, get in creep town. Don't get me started on Soleil Moon Fry. We were the same oh. age, so it's not yeah. creepy. Correction. It was the actor Stacy Keenan who portrayed the role of Nicole Bradford on the television program My Two Dads. She is currently a deputy district attorney for Los Angeles County. Thanks a lot! So, uh, free to people... <laughs> Yeah, free to people. Uh, mm-hmm. Outtake from '73 from the Mind Games record. It's yeah, it's it's it's, it's what it is, right? Yeah, do not one of my Mind Games. Not one of my favorite albums. We've talked about this. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it now. Is not John <laughs> Lennon's greatest lyric. There's a moment. This foretells some of the Bob Dylan satire that's coming up on the disc. Yeah, uh, when he says, "You think you're cool and know what you're doing," he has that Bob Dylan imitation nasally scowl. It is fascinating the relationship between John and Dylan. Yeah, Dylan was a massive idol for John Lennon in the early to mid '60s. Yeah. Yeah, and then as Dylan kept morphing after the car crash and Judaism, and then the the the, uh, Christianity, the Christianity bit, and all the 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 preaching soured John so much that he kept going back to a sailing Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Yeah, yeah, we get, gets into it on disc four especially. Yeah, did you ever see that? It was the outtake from was it Don't Look Back or whatever when those two are in the back seat of a car. In 66, it's still in 66 tour, I think. It, it gets real weird because you've never seen it. It's really weird. I haven't. Oh, like Dylan gets like sick in the car with John Lennon. It's just, it's really weird. No, man. You wouldn't tell me. He said, this ought to be a Northern Songs. And was everybody, you know, a couple, you laughed and Paul McCartney looked the other way at talking uh, about Ringo. I got to look down and he. Balloon dropped out of his face, and uh, Rob Roy left into the room with a big kill down. He said, "Hey, Bobby, have you heard this one?" (laughs) You gotta live, you gotta live in Texas, man. Check it out. It's just weird. That's all. I have nothing other to say. Then don't look back on the perpetual list of movies that I need to see and haven't seen because I I I do love I do love Bob Dylan. I saw that at the the biograph. Or the three penny, whichever one it was, back in around the time this rec- this uh, anthology was cool. released. Back when there were two movie theaters on one block on Lincoln Avenue, 
Yeah. Those are, those, yeah. Those, those are cool days. So Well, I know we're procrastinating, yeah. but we have to get into this song, TJ. Yep. We have to get into this song. You're referring, of course, to Bring on the Lucy. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, of course, we're talking up right now. Before we get to the song, okay. Geraldo Rivera introduces the song. Geraldo Rivera became a friend. Are we on the same? We're on the same song, yes? <laughs> we are on the same song, yeah. So, preceding Geraldo, there's the a, a brief moment of a demo version of the song. And then Geraldo, on the one-to-one thing, introduces. It. Yes. Uh, so, Geraldo... Uh, was buddies with John Lennon at the time. Geraldo was a reporter, I think, for ABC in New York, and they'd become friends with the Lennons. There's the interview of Geraldo walking with John on a beach and and or somewhere in, in New York and talking about, uh, you know, just doing an a early 70s interview. Geraldo Rivera, for someone who went to hanging out with John Lennon to becoming a boot-licking fuck stick... <laughs> He, in many respects, I will take Alan Klein over uh, Geraldo Rivera in the Beatles kind of canon. Fuck Geraldo Rivera. And listen, I do not believe the R word to describe people who are afflicted with some kind of developmental disability is appropriate. I do not believe the R word is funny. I'm certainly, I used it in the 70s or 70s. I was a kid in the 80s, maybe the 90s. I wish I could take back every time I've said the R word, Tony. Right. But hearing Geraldo, this was a concert for children with developmental disabilities. Right. And Geraldo Rivera uses the R word with such pride when he's introducing John Lennon and he's here and he raised money for the mentally just like hearing Geraldo say the R word. I want that to fucking cancel him. I hate Geraldo. I know. I get it. I get it. Uh, yeah, right. I will say, yeah, I, I've never been a fan of that word and I've never, I've never enjoyed that style of comedy. I came from a theater that liked to make fun of that kind of stuff. And I was, it was never my bag. Steppenwolf. <laughs> yeah, step away. You yeah. don't know what we can find. <laughs> step away theater <laughs> slash party band. Close your eyes, girl. Look inside the. I'll let you have that thing. I will. I will let you have that thing. But I will say, in 1972, I think that term didn't mean what it means now so you're, you're totally right listening to it in 2020 and plus hating geraldo makes me give it more more than it deserves <laughs> yeah so, fuck him fuck him still he's he sucks so i'm not defending him i'm just saying i'm sure other people that we like probably said that word in 1972 because he wasn't saying it in a he was saying like look at all the money we raised like for right. these people like it the concert was to raise money for People um, who are mentally disabled. I don't even know what to fucking say, actually, right now. But I yeah. think it's developmentally disabled is the appropriate okay. term. And I, I mean, I, I did you I in a show I wrote for Second City in 09. I, I had a joke that ended with the word tarred. And if I could change any of my songs, I would I would change that at this point. It, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed by it. Well, I'm imagining and you fuck were forced, Geraldo. Yeah, for fucker Aldo, but you were probably forced into a rhyme or whatever, and that's probably where that came from. Yeah, that's my excuse. <laughs> and speaking of forced into a rhyme, this next song, <laughs> yeah, and let's let's, let's make a deal to talk about this 
without dwelling on it too much, because yeah. one of John Lennon's most controversial songs features the N-word in it. Woman is the N-word of the world. Now, we've talked about this on this show before, Tony. This is A little bit. Uh, we've talked about it more off the air. We've, I don't yes. think this is, we're finally getting into it here. Okay, this uh, then let's talk about it for a second. It was a single. It was the one single off of the Sometime in New York City album. This, of course, is a live version. Um, yeah. This version here is from... The, the, is this from the One to One yeah, concert? Yeah, it's from I'm One to One. Cause, this, yeah, because okay. Geraldo... Inter- and they go right into it after Geraldo says your favorite word there. <laughs> so, and it's not just Geraldo saying the R word. It's fucking Stan Bronstein wailing on the saxophone. <laughs> hey, Stan, I think Shana Na auditions are next door. Why don't you go over there? Get a job. I cannot stand the that elephant's memory wailing saxophone. Oh, I love it. See, I love it. I Like, to me, it, it's melodic, at least. Like, I can't stand SNL whatever that is that tr- that trumpet i call it a trumpet <laughs> the no, sax your brass instruments and what but i i love i love the sax on what to me it's the same as this whatever gets you through the night like there's some sax to me that works and is tuneful and supports the song it's not just like wow look at how many valves i can tickle you know like that stuff is boring but so I like well, you I love l- David Sanborn. You love Songbird and <laughs> Sanborn always wore black. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's do it. All right. So this song, Woman is the yeah. End of the World. Uh, it was something that Yoko had said in an interview with a Nova magazine in 1969. So uh, I'm not pinning it on her. It was something that she was saying. Uh, it's a provocative statement, to say the least. And it's also a problematic statement to say, in the least. Yes. Um, Even though, to your point, the point of it wasn't one that had anything to do with racism. And that's what's so important to clarify. And I just mocked Geraldo. I'm going to defend John Lennon, which I know makes me a hypocrite. But John Lennon was using the N-word to be illustrative of the way he believed Yoko and women were being treated in society, that they were enslaved, they were marginalized, they were not allowed. It it was a feminist anthem sung by a proto-feminist man using the n-word as a metaphor there's a lot of shit to unpack there but that's what it was that's what it was and it, yeah in hindsight it's clumsy and it's an inappropriate comparison we we all know that now misogyny and racism aren't they're not like twins but they're definitely cousins you know what i mean like right it's, it's discrimination and and lenin was using a provocative word to perhaps gain some attention to the issue I don't know, but it did. He went for it, but radio stations didn't want to play it, and uh, so yeah, it wasn't a hit. But as so, that's that. But as a song, as music, I love this song, and I used to put this song on tapes for friends all the time because I, I just love this song, and I did like the message of it being pro-feminist. You know, Uh, the one thing that's a little, again, more problems with it is that it it doesn't really offer any solutions and i'm not sure that's what songs are supposed to do but it does address the problem that's what the song does well but the good songs i'd like to buy the world of coke <laughs> you know how to make solutions with those gems uh, yeah. yes and I, I i agree with you i've I, i've never however loved this song enough like this is i've never put this on a lennon mix no um, okay. i am pretty certain that the Gimme Some Truth box set, which I alluded to at the top of this podcast a few days ago, um, does not feature this song. 
I think this is one of the first compilations where this 2020 reissue being produced by Sean Lennon does not include this song, which kind of feels like a cop-out given that it's the single from an album, one of the few albums because of his short life and his five-year retirement that John Lennon... um, that John Lennon released, but in this day and age, especially, and for reasons I understand as a far left progressive, I, the reasons don't bother me, but you also can't rewrite history. Yeah, you can't. I get it. I get it. It's probably would be the hassle. Like you don't want your dad to get canceled because of something that, you know, people, people see a a word and then it's that it becomes that. And then that's who you are now. Oh, you're the guy that wrote that song that has that word in it. And now, you know, whatever. So, Anyway, it's on this. It's on this thing. You can hear it live. I I like the studio version. I like the little demo version that happens before Geraldo. Yeah. Uh, but I feel good to move on. Let's move on. Uh, next, next <laughs> we did it, is, TJ. Uh, we talked about that fucking song finally. We've we've been scared to talk about it, especially in you know. Let's let's have a, a real moment here. You know, you and I both come from a place where. We're trying to, you know, we're both progressive. We're both, we both lean to the left mm-hmm. and I don't want to be part of a discussion that offends anybody, but it's also that thin line of like, it, it, it happened, right? 74, when did this come? 72? 73. Uh, 73. Two, <laughs> I two, two years got them both wrong. Yeah. 72 is know. when the, the album came that. out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's the reason I defend Joe Biden so vehemently, whether it was the crime bill from the nineties or things he said about busing in the eighties. I don't think he's a bad person. I think he said and thought things that might've been a little bit more common in that era. You can't be unwoke in 1972. I mean, he's not out. John Lennon was not marching with the Klan or showing up in in blackface or, or 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 promoting right wing agendas. So, within context, I think it's okay to discuss the song and hopefully not be offensive. Well said. It's part of the John Lennon catalog. Well said. Um, now, the next song on this is this John Lennon song that's always offended me called "You Go Home." <laughs> And if you thought baby, you're a rich man was a problematic, um, baby, you're a rich FJ. Um, the next song on this, there's two live ones. Wait, in a row. you won't say the word fat anymore. <laughs> not, not, not since, uh, the, uh, weird Al Michael Jackson parody. Can't do it. Your butt is wide and mine is two. All right. But if I spell it with a PH, I can say it. Yeah, fat, although I like fat blunts and pH fat blunts. Um, (laughs) So two two live songs back-to-back, It's So Hard and Come Together. It's So Hard is another one that's always kind of meandered to me as a John Lennon blues song. Yeah. Uh, It's funny, there's a lot of these, like, Imagineera tracks that, in retrospect, I I don't, I'm not loving hearing on this record, and I love the Imagine album, but going through some of this track-by-track... However, the version of Come Together, do you have anything you want to say in it so hard before I move on to Come Together? I don't want to jump you. No, no, you said it. Great. So Come Together, there's two live versions in the same show, an afternoon show and an evening show. This one here is the second show from the one-to-one concert at the Apollo. The more accepted live Come Together, the one that's on live in New York City, right. the posthumous release yeah. uh, that's never been reissued since its original 1986 issue. It's never been reissued at all. 
that is from the first show that's got Yoko Whaling. That version also appears on the working class hero, John Lennon, double disc greatest hits album. This one, which doesn't have John Lennon, uh, excuse me, Yoko Whaling, and does have John at the end singing, come together right now, stop the war. This one is the definitive live come together that's always treated like the little brother of the more commonly heard live come together. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I, I, I love it. And this is where Instant Karma should have gone because that was performed at that one-to-one show as well. Oh, so I, you're right. I guess you just don't understand why one of the most seminal... I mean, John Lennon... Uh, Instant Karma is one of my three favorite John Lennon songs, probably one of my three favorite solo songs. It's just... It's joyous. It's, it's piano. It's everything. Um, but yeah, so I love this come together. What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's good. It's, uh, I don't know. To me, nothing beats the studio version. Like those, oh, of course, that chorus is so hard to hit. Like y- you hear him struggling to hit that chorus. So, uh, I like that as being a real human being like, oh, wow, it's hard to sing this thing I created, you know, in a live setting. But, uh, yeah, it's okay. I, I don't know. You you just can't beat the production on Abbey Road for me. So it doesn't have the low end of the bass as much. Like the drums are not what Ringo does that much. Well, yeah, it doesn't. With all respect to the Elephant's Memory Band, it doesn't have the tasteful playing and tasteful production uh, of of George. No, for real. I'm not being serious. <laughs> Anything you can do to get a, Elephant's Memory is the Geraldo Rivera of, right. of John Elephant's, Lennon backing bands. It's it's the Trump of John Lennon backing bands. Um, <laughs> Standing on the court, just me and Yoko Ono, Elephant's Memory Band. Uh, it is, it, I'm not comparing it to what's on Abbey Road, but in terms of the two live versions from the same show, I take this one over the one that's more commonly heard. Yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. Uh, after that, it goes into a rough mix of Happy Christmas. Uh, was this a rough mix from 71? Yeah. I've always liked this song. To me, I, yeah, I, I hate Christmas music, and uh, I love this song. I guess this is my favorite Christmas song. Uh, I love Christmas music, and this is one of my favorite Christmas songs. It just it's it's great and it's timeless and it sounds Christmassy and it sounds authentic, which is why I love it so much. Yeah, it's great. It has a bunch of augmented chords. Yeah, all, tons of augmented chords. Yeah, and the the message "War is over if you want it," which hung up on billboards that Christmas mm-hmm. all throughout New York City, maybe throughout the world. What a simple and peaceful and very John Lennony message: "War is over if you want it." I, I I love this message. I it resonates with me uh today as much as it did uh when the war was going on. So rank the three Beatles uh solo Christmas songs. You've got Happy Christmas, uh-huh. Wonderful Christmas Time, and Ding Dong Ding Dong. Yeah, Ding Dong. Is that George? Yeah. Is that That's George. I'm, I may not be that familiar with Ding Dong, Ding Dong. Well, that's our New Year's episode. Yeah. Uh, ring out the old, ring in the new. That's George having a, having a little rough patch. I like, uh, I like Tiny Tim's version of Nowhere Man, which is on the 1968 Beatles Christmas record. Oh, that's right. That all, I cannot wait to do the Christmas episode with you because those are some of my favorite, especially because they're so different, right? The early... Let's keep going because yeah, we have yeah. 5,000 more songs to get into. Um, so, yeah. What's the next one on the list here, Tony? It goes into, uh, well, your favorite uh, live set from Ann Arbor in 1971 where he does Luck of the Irish and John Sinclair. 
You got to, got to, got to, got to, got to set us free. All right, John, we get it. And I actually like the song John Sinclair. Luck of the Irish, I think, is fine. Yoko gets to sing in it, too. So God bless you, Yoko. It's kind of cool that he was in Ann Arbor. Yeah. He played at the University of Michigan, which is kind of a cool little story for Michigan. Go blue for all you Michigan fans. (laughs) Yeah, for a guy who didn't play out live that much, it's cool to see these live performances. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're not my favorite. Then David Frost announces that John Sinclair has just been released, you know, from prison or whatever. So it uh, puts things into context and also kind of puts a button on the end of the politically charged era of Lennon's work. Yeah. So then we get into Mind Games. Uh, there's two demos, both on piano, 1973. And it's kind of like the two parts of the song. One is called I Promise which the lyrics were later changed. And I feel like he changed something else going on there. Uh, These eventually became mind games. And then, of course, Make Love, Not War, which was the original uh, working title for mind games. Uh, I'm glad he changed that, too, because Make Love, Not War just sounds very cliche to me, very dated, uh, very pet rock, you know. I think it's it's funny because make love not war is as cliched as war is over if you want it is relevant and fresh. Yeah. Because that was such a John Lennon Yoko turn of phrase, whereas um Make Love Not War had been already worn thin since the late sixties. That was not a new colloquialism. Yeah, yeah. I love hearing these lo fi home demos. Just the quality and where it takes you and yeah. Yeah. I much prefer it to hear it this way than in a studio setting. If he was still demoing in a studio session, it wouldn't, I don't know, it wouldn't feel the same to me. Mm-mm. That's what's so neat about it is all these home demos. And uh, in general, hearing just the piano demo, especially in Make Love Not Wars, he's pounding those descending chords on that very Lennon-esque piano. It's just a beautiful piano moment. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, yeah. I, I will say this. I don't believe anybody needs an alternate one day at a time. <laughs> with the I exception thought... of Norman Lear's reboot of the show to be about uh, with, uh, you know, Bonnie Franklin with, and uh, Valerie Bertinelli. And there's a reboot with Rita Moreno. So that's an alternate yeah, take. Right. But I don't, I, I mean, I this song things. is always one of the more, I've heard it's great too. These are one of the, the all one day to times one more limp John Lennon songs in my mind. Now, if I recall your biggest grievance with this song were the backing vocals. You, yeah, you, yeah. Wake up, please. Which they sounded like Linda to me, but yeah. Uh, well, this version doesn't have backing vocals, so I thought you, of all people, would would need this version of that song. 
No, he's shaking his head no. I give this one two fabs. <laughs> oh, that's right. Fabs. Forgot about this. <laughs> fabs. So you, you, you dig this one? I like this. It's, you know, it's a song I get stuck in my head. It's very, I think it actually is like a very sitcom sounding song. Lennon wrote a lot of songs that could have been sitcoms, especially yeah. around Double Fantasy, which we'll get to. But this starts that kind of sitcom music era for me and yes. i love it for better i i, I usually do too but this, i will take the original oh hold on a sec this one this is it this yeah, is man. it <laughs> this is life the one you get to go and have a ball it's the first time i would ever take a song sung by by bonnie franklin over one by john lennon <laughs> wait bonnie franklin so while you're here enjoy the view keep on doing what you do 70s that one. TV themes were works of art. And then somewhere around NYPD Blue, they all went to shit. <laughs> yeah, and Seinfeld. Fuck Seinfeld for that reason. <laughs> Seinfeld helped destroy the American TV theme. Yeah, you're right. Seinfeld and NYPD Blue. Yeah, and yeah. And can I say this, too, for all you people who work at television stations who handle the distribution of Cheers? Find a way to not play the goddamn edited version. There's nothing worse than tuning into an episode of Cheers and hearing the following. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows Wait, you. Hold on. I want the fucking verse. You want you want more of that song, TJ? <laughs> yeah, but it's got the whole making your way in the world today. Oh. You need that part. You think you got all right. I know we're long. I have to I have to tell this story. So uh, when I was touring with a band, we used to have these contests to make the most unlistenable mixes. Right. <laughs> and the winner was you got a point if someone just had to skip on the CD and skip your song. That was you got a point. <laughs> and I remember I put the cheers theme on on one of my mixes and it went like and somebody skipped it. Like four notes listen i know this gets bandied around a bit but that's anti-american that's treasonous i think cheers is the only thing left to bring us all back together i think they need a cheers reboot and we can all finally get along yeah if you don't want minorities i mean with okay let me rephrase that let me take it back okay freeze take that back a cheers reboot freeze. but it's the ted danson in blackface with Whoopi goldberg era <laughs> There, I think you fixed it. <laughs> all, all taken care of. Um, so, and that happened, by the way. Anyway, holy let, shit. Let's yeah. move on to I Know, which is acoustic and one of the most gorgeous moments on all four discs. The acoustic, and it's a great song anyway. The acoustic version of this might be the, the definitive one. I agree. This is an underrated Lennon song, yeah. and it's beautiful in this form. And this is what I was talking about earlier with if Rick Rubin had caught him. You know, it, it could have been more stuff like this. I definitely prefer this version to the studio version yeah. by far. If only John had had beautiful song. Only John had had Rick Rubin instead of Jerry Rubin. Then it'd be a much better. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's true, <laughs> man. Much better situation. That's true. It's a great one. Next one on Victim of Time. Yeah, that's right. That's favorite Bonnie Raitt album. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, the <laughs> next one, uh, the next two are from separate years. The first from 70, I think four, the next one from 75, or maybe I'm getting those years wrong. You can tell me. I know, uh, I am the greatest of 73. I don't know when Vienna So good at Vienna 74, right? 73 and 74. So, uh, two songs John wrote for Ringo with Ringo on drums and John doing the demo lead vocal. And, uh, it has one of my favorite John Lennon lyrics that when Ringo sings, it is so perfect. And all I want to do is boogaloo. <laughs> the 
there's it's, so much boogalooing going so on. Back off, boogaloo. <laughs> All I want to do is boogaloo. Yeah, a lot of boogalooing going on in Ringo's life. <laughs> and it, you also then have John uh, doing a song called Goodnight Vienna that he wrote for Ringo. That is one of the coolest, weird time signature shifts of any John Lennon penned song. And that's a mini Beatles thing. That's John, George, Ringo, and Klaus Vorman playing on the Goodnight Vienna. That's cool, um, man. Yeah. Which is neat. Yeah. There's like the disco-y kind of a drum beat going on. Um, if I don't know how to find it. I had it on a cassette and I bought it at a record show back when we used to go to record shows at the Holiday Inn. Um, I was I was picking up what I thought was the Let It Be, you know, whatever, some bootleg version of Let It Be, right? And in the beginning of it was like seven minutes of Lennon going through I'm the Greatest with so many false starts. And it's hilarious. He's clearing his nose through the whole thing. He keeps trying to, like, he keeps breaking down every take, saying, like, no, the tempo is this. One, two, three, four. Drummer does that tempo, and, and Lennon's like, no, it's like this. One, two, <laughs> three. And they are stuck in this hell. Oh, it's, I, I got, it's on a cassette. Like I said, I haven't heard this in years because I don't have a cassette player anymore. Uh, I, I, it was one of my favorite things, but this it's from that session. I hear, yeah, it's, I'm the greatest. It's so good. I would love to hear that. Cause I love this version of it too. It's cause it's a cool, he wrote it for Ringo saying, this is one that only Ringo could sing. And we get yeah. to a couple other songs he wrote for Ringo coming up on the fourth disc of this, but it's just fun to hear that two Ringo kind of hits that John wrote, uh, from separate consecutive years with John singing the lead demo, which I, I love. We get to the Jerry Lewis telethon, <laughs> which is so weird because Jerry's like, they're gone, they're out of here. <laughs> he's left, but yeah. he's wonderful what he's done. It's it's classic. And for those of a younger generation, you know, Jerry Lewis had the Memorial Day muscular dystrophy telethon for like 24 hours every Memorial Day weekend. It was like a big thing. Yeah, it was a big it was a big deal in like showbiz circles or if you watched it. My family didn't watch it, but I know Paul Schaefer was totally into it every year. Oh, yeah, so, he loved it. Yeah, he loved it. I think it's just great to hear Jerry Lewis say, John Lennon, Yoko Ono, <laughs> and then start a chant. John, John, oh, Yoko, so Yoko. <laughs> 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 oh, the day the clown died. <laughs> Is that the movie? What's the movie? I think where so. He yeah, plays the, yeah. That's the the concentration camp clown, right? Isn't that what that? Is? Yeah, I think so. It's yeah. like it's like pa- Patch Adams for Jews. Yeah, never been released, right? Isn't it? No, never. No one's released. ever seen it or whatever. That and Disney Song of the South, which only exists in the imaginations of racist people from 1927. It's their Carnival of Light, TJ. It's slowly their carnival of light. Carnival don't, of don't dark. Even, don't don't even release it. <laughs> that, that's a carnival of dark. So then there's a quick kind of pointless thing of John and Yoko singing a kiss is just a kiss from Casablanca. Yeah, they call it a vignette. They Yoko didn't label it as a pointless thing. She called it a, a vignette. Yes, it's it's a vignette. It's a balsamic vignette. <laughs> it's a uh it's fine it's 12 seconds long it's one of the things you stick on a mix when you only have 40 seconds or so to go you stick yeah. it at the very end of the it's mix. a mix filler thank you that thanks and for that the cheers theme tony <laughs> hashtag mix filler hey i'm mix filler coming up we got chicago weather but first here's some jams
Um, uh, next up is Real Love, which is the version that Jeff Lynn cleaned up. And this is a super cleaned up version. I wonder if it came from Jeff Lynn when he was working on the production that became the second Beatles song, the new Beatles song from Anthology, featured on Anthology 2. Um, it's called Real Love. And it's not a particularly, it's this, this is another one that's jumping in time because this is from 1980 as well. Yes. This yeah, version this, of Real Love. And, you know, the Beatles had a very cool, tasteful version of it with George and Paul and Ringo. They didn't add any new verses or anything to it. This was easier to clean up than Free as a Bird, which is weirdly also not on here. No Free as a Bird, by the way, which is strange. It's one of those weird omissions. Um, But it's, it's real love, a beautiful song, and it's cool to hear John doing it. I agree. Yeah, he he labels it take four. He he uh, has a false start and kind of ang- yells at himself for come on get it together take four. Uh yeah, and then it uh just two ends with uh, an outtake uh you know, an outtake from Mind Games. You are here. Um I would have flipped it to be quite honest. I would have I think real love would have been a better closer, but that's me. Yes. Although that that Nicky Hopkins piano, I'd forgotten how much Nicky Hopkins, who of course probably his most known piano playing was with the Stones. Stones, the Kinks, the Who he played with. Yes. He played with all those. He was like friends with the, the rock elite there. So why was Nicky Hopkins not, because he wasn't officially part of any of those bands, right? He was just like a session musician. Because yeah. he's on, I think he's playing piano on a lot of Exile on Main Street. Like I think that's him on doing Love and Cup. That would make sense. Yeah. I think that would make sense. Yeah, I'm sure he would have made the trip to France for that. I think. Uh, I don't know. I don't know my Stones as well as I know my Beatles or Who. I know that. Yeah, he played on like the Who's, the Ox, and that the Kinks wrote that song "Session Man" uh, on the Face to Face record. That's about Nicky Hopkins. Oh, really? Yeah. Face to Face is what? What year is that? Uh, Sixty-six. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, and just, like, around that time, Jimmy Page was a session man, too. So, you know, whereas Jimmy Page turned it into Led Zeppelin, Nicky Hopkins, I think, I don't know, he just was content playing on everyone else's record magically. He's yeah. so good. And his He's playing so his playing on You Are Here is just, it, it's fantastic, too. But you're right, it should have ended with Real Love. So that wraps up disc two, and that wraps up part one of our John Lennon anthology. Deep dish that's a deep dish deep dive <laughs> the only good chicago pizza is that pizza hut at broadway in oakdale everything else is fucking garbage i love i love old school chicago guy who only likes chains <laughs> yeah yeah you want a hot dog i'll tell you where you get the best chicago dog is at the sonic in rockford what what's wrong yeah. with you I- I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Chicago. I go to Sonics. Uh, all the all the new the new places are the best. Don't go to the old places. Go to the new places. Sonics, uh, Planet Hollywood. Uh. <laughs> I love a good deep dish pizza. I love deep dish pizza more than most people. There's a Domino's at LaSalle and Division <laughs> that's got the best fucking crust. Okay. <laughs> Well, so yeah, we're we've this this box set is so extensive that we're actually going to do a, our first two parter, which means we need a next on a very special untitled Beatles podcast. Oh yeah, let's read. No, Tony, you're wrong. No, Walls and Bridges should have been two albums. No, you know, Tony, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. There is no reason that the the Bob Dylan pastiche "Serve Yourself" shouldn't have been a single. <laughs> 
That and more next on next week's Untitled Beetle. Untitled. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe.